going on, guys? My name is David Gibson. I am the host and founder of this podcast, SIDcast, a podcasting resource dedicated to sharing these stories and telling the experiences of the sports information and athletic communications profession. Uh, we have wrapped up some uh, our final home basketball games here at USI. I think that was last Saturday, and I couldn't be happier to move on to baseball and softball season. Uh, my tennis teams are both starting back up and still waiting for golf to make a move. But other than that, uh, SID life at USI is good. Actually, on Saturday, if you uh, follow me on Instagram, which any of you can do, I don't know my handle or username off the top of my head. I think it might be David Gibson SID. I, I'm not quite sure, but, um, you know, I, I kind of put on there. I, I had a undefeated at home graphic in mind. Um, both our women and men's team went into Saturday undefeated at home and at a conference and GLVC play and uh, women won. So I was feeling good about it. And then um, uh, I love our teams. I, I love our coaches. Uh, they're amazing to work with. And But I have never seen a team come in and just lay it, let, like take it to us, you know, in, in a sense. Um, I think the last, I was just thinking about this, not but a, a few seconds ago, um, about the last time I saw a team kind of, just own every aspect of the game that and I think I think the last time I saw that was UConn's uh, national championship I think it was their last one whenever they play Kentucky uh, Louisville played them in the regular season and absolutely put the smack down on them and then they went on to win the national championship so hey maybe that might work for us <laughs> you never know so uh, I hope that all of you are doing well as crossover season looms upon us uh, but let's move on to today's guest I enjoyed this one a lot, and I hope you will too. Sean will detail with this the time. He almost got fired from the Boston Globe all the way to Endicott and winning an award for his work, so that's quite the quite the kind of bounce back from the career that you've had. And we will also talk about some stuff regarding the crossing between what we do in the office and what the academic side of things that your institution can do for really for the both of you, uh, being able to profile some of those things. So we'll go through that. Uh, but first, I want to turn your guys' attention to something that many of you have done and many of you have not done. Uh, rating reviewing on iTunes is incredibly important in us for, or to us rather in order to get the word out about our show. I'll be frank with you guys for a second. Um, sometimes when I ask these guests, when I start to interview them, uh, just for the sake of you know them knowing the format between the music and then hearing the intro monologue, what you're hearing now, uh, I usually ask them, have you had a chance to listen to an episode? And often, I know Sean said yes, but more often than not, I get a no. Um, sharing these episodes and writing or reviewing wherever you get this show will counter that. So from the bottom of my heart, just share away and enjoy and consume these episodes every Thursday. Um, that would mean a lot, and I would be able to kind of get other SIDs, maybe some creative people, marketers, uh, I mean, whoever. Um, I do know a friend from back home that actually listens to this just for the sake of listening to it. So, But doing that will help us grow. Um, I don't know other way to put it. So if you could go ahead and go do that, it just takes a few seconds. Um, that, that'd be amazing. Uh, so now that I'm done rambling, let's move on to today's episode with number 64 of SID cast with Sean Medeiros of the Endicott goals. And we'll start off today with this very first taste of sports information right here on SID cast. Uh, 
very first taste of sports information would be when I was actually a graduate student at Castleton, uh, then State College, now State University in Rutland, Vermont, um, or Castleton, Vermont, excuse me. Um, so prior to that, really, I'd never been in a sports information office. Um, in athletics, I was a broadcaster in college at Bridgewater State College, now university. For whatever reason, any college that I went to immediately upgraded to the university after I left for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, so I did broadcasting in high school and in college. And then once I graduated Bridgewater State, I was kind of like, oh, man, what am I going to do? I really don't see this broadcasting thing working out. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those situations where if you don't have a lot of money, it's kind of hard to pay bills and especially student loans when you're trying to build your portfolio as a broadcaster. So, um, I started working at the Boston Globe and I was coaching my high school track and cross country teams as an assistant coach for almost three years. Um, and this opportunity opened up at Castleton and I applied for it and thankfully I got it. Um, at one point I was keeping a list of all the types of sports information jobs I was applying to. Um, and the list was about a hundred deep of places that had denied me. So it was getting depressing at one point, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, luckily, luckily I got a, I got a nice break at Castleton. I can thank, uh, Jeff Weld, who is there now. I believe he is the VP of, um, it's something to do with VP of, of student affairs or something like that. So he's moved up. He went from a student to a sports information director to communications. And now he's like in the upper echelon of the college. Um, and more or less his wife, who pretty much was like, you should hire him. I like I like his resume. So pretty much I don't know if I would have been hired if it weren't for her. <laughs> she kind of rules the roost over there. Um, but, yeah, that was really my, my real first taste. I got thrown right into the fire right away as a GA. I never knew stack crew. I never knew what it looked like. Um, you know, and I was fresh out of college maybe like a year, year and a half afterwards. So you're, what, like 23, 24-ish mm. maybe at that point, give or take. Um so it was kind of cool to see a, a new world. I only knew the broadcasting world of the sports information director giving me the stats or telling me about X players reaching this milestone. So to see the, the differences was really intriguing. And then, honestly, as soon as I got the bug, I just jumped right in and I really couldn't get away from it. And, you know, it's kind of sparked where I am now at Endicott. Uh, I want to kind of get into how you kind of acclimated yourself with the stat programs here in a little bit. But first, I, I kind of want to ask you, um, did you have any other kind of news? I, I read that you had some news outlet ventures. I mean, can you detail those for us? Yeah, so I, I worked for the student newspaper at Bridgewater State. Um, and then once I, like I said, when I graduated, I started working for the Boston Globe. Um, and more or less my senior year before I graduated, um, it was a really cool experience. I'll, I'll get into a story in a second about how I almost got fired on my first, my first gig, which was awesome. But um, <laughs> so long story short, um, I settled in as like a news desk type person first, and then they realized that I had a niche for track and cross country because one, I was already going to the meets already to cover it as an assistant coach. Yeah. So then I would stay and cover these meets. Um, and I got to a point where I was coming, covering like national high school track and field meets, which was really cool. Um, so I just ended up becoming like this, this track and cross country reporter. And they had kids who covered the football beats and they had kids who covered like high school basketball. Those were like, given to like the division one, like BC Northeastern Emerson, um, BU type kids. And then I kind of had this little niche and it was pretty awesome. But, um, I guess a story for like 
not worrying too much about failing, minus obviously not getting fired, which almost happened to me. Um, so my first story ever for the Boston Globe was on um, a Division One playoff boys hockey game. And uh, probably a big SID fail on my part here, or future, or would have been a future one, obviously. But um, so I wrote the story, and I was really impressed by how the goalie played for whatever teams were in it and whoever won. But I read the jersey number wrong. And in my story, I mentioned the wrong goalie 12 times in the story. (laughs) (laughs) So needless to say, I got an email in my inbox about 8, 8.30 the next morning. They published the story. Obviously, they don't know who was the starting goalie, the the copy editor or anything. Um, Some parents were pretty upset, obviously. It was a big game for that program. They had to run a redaction or a retraction in the the newspaper. Um, And I got brought in. And then the the sports editor for the high school section at the time was like, you know, it's a pretty big mistake. You can't you can't let it happen again. I'm going to give you another chance. And he and I thought honestly this was going to be like you're not going to get another chance. But for whatever reason, I think he had a soft spot because I was a state school kid. I went to Bridgewater State. He went to a state school. He wasn't like these other kids that came from these you know amazing journalism programs. So he gave me another shot. And uh, the next article that I wrote. Uh, I was pretty sure to double check who was in the starting lineup for that game. And then it kind of transformed into the, the role of like, you know, hey, you you know the sport of track and field inside and out. You know these other high school names, kids, when we mention them in the paper, you know, cross country. So then it just morphed into that. And it was pretty awesome to, to be able to see me transition from pretty much no reason why I should have been in, given a second chance and should have been fired to like excelling because, you know, one person in that department believed in me a little bit and then ended up working out. So, um, if that situation doesn't happen, I don't know if I get the job at Castleton either. So it's kind of weird how all of those things fall into place. Uh, I also read it kind of in your bio that, uh, you were director of media relations. Uh, can you go for a, was it the keen swamp bats? Is that yeah, what it's called? <laughs> the keen swamp bats. Uh, um, it was a summer league baseball team in Keene, New Hampshire, um, not that far away from Castleton, either two hours away. So if you look at the roadmap, you go Massachusetts, Keene, New Hampshire, then Castleton. So it's weird how that all kind of worked out. Um, they, na- they named the team's uh, side story here. There's a swamp right behind the field, okay. and every high school every high school team, I don't know if it's in New Hampshire or in that Monadnock region, they're all named after birds. So they wanted them to be birds. So for whatever reason, when they had a, a town vote, that's what people settled on, the Swamp Bats. So that's their team name. It's really awkward team name, but it fits. But um, yeah, so I, start, I started there. Um, my first year with them was a broadcast intern. And at the time, uh, Doug Munson, who was the SID at Franklin Pierce, was the director of media relations. He stepped away after the first year. I stepped in and then did that for four summers, met a lot of really awesome people, uh, a lot of great connections, a lot of Division One student-athletes, but there were some mixtures of D3 and D2 in there too. So it was kind of cool to see those those guys chase their dreams. Um, good amount of them ended up in the majors, one of them most notably Alex Wood, who just pitched for the Dodgers in the World Series um, and, and in the playoffs. So a uh, great guy uh, from Georgia. So it was cool to like make those connections and kind of feel like you were really in like Major League Baseball in sort of a way. You're traveling with the team, you're doing all the – media relations type stuff you're putting together programs um so that was kind of a 
a next step after the globe to kind of get the sports info mind rolling. And I, I would say really that's where it pretty much started. The globe was a good base, but um, that's where I really started to learn more about like what the profession was. And then the biggest thing next was actually trying to crack into it, which as you know, can be kind of difficult in some cases. And, and you mentioned cracking into it and you kind of detailed how you got to Castleton there, but it, can you go into detail how Endicott kind of came open? What was the job process like um, interviewing? I mean, can you spare no detail? Yeah, so um, I was at Wheaton uh, in Massachusetts. There's two Wheatons, um, as some people may know. And I was really happy at Wheaton, to be honest. Um, but this Endicott job opened up. Rob Pilardi, who is now the assistant AD of strategic communication, took on that role and then opened up the role for Endicott sports information role. And uh, to be honest, I hadn't really applied to any jobs while I was at Wheaton, and I saw this one open. And it was an intriguing opportunity because you look at it for a D3 school you have an assistant AD for strategic comm. You would have the sports information director. You would have the men's volleyball coach, who's also an assistant SID, and a GA. So to me, I was kind of like, this is the next step in my career. If I want to do some fun stuff, be more creative, not you know get tied down in like working all the games every weekend, you can split duties. It's kind of like a mini D1 office. So right. um, I threw my name in the hat. I wasn't sure where it would go. Um, the first phone interview went really well, I thought. Uh, and then when I got on campus, I got to be honest, I just kind of felt like I was home. Um, and I know people say that and they might say it was a cliche, but I stepped on campus and I just immediately knew that I could be here and it felt right. Um, and even in the interview process, when you're interviewing with eight to 10 people in a room, um, I never felt uncomfortable. I never felt that I was in an interview, really. It just felt like a normal conversation with multiple people. I mean, we're talking people from admissions to athletic training to coaches and to higher up staff members. So, you know, that part of it could have been intimidating, but for whatever reason, I felt right at home right away. And I think that speaks to the culture here. And then as I, as you know, lucky as I got, I got a chance to, to be the sports information director. And it's been, it's been cool to call this home, you know, ever since, um, the, the interview process though was, was intriguing. There were a lot of really good questions. It wasn't really sports information driven. It was more about recruiting and how the sports information office can help in those areas. They weren't so concerned about, you know, statistics because I think they knew all the candidates were, were good in that area. They were they were aware of people's writing abilities. So I think the, the pool was good enough where the questions were more about how can we take sports information to be an extension of the communications office from the college and, and really do some wonderful things in the recruiting area for the athletes. So that, that was pretty cool to hear. Um, and I don't really remember that on any interviews I've ever been on. Um, not that I've been on many in the sports information world. It's kind of been a, it's kind of been a very upward trajectory, but I have, I, I've stayed pretty much everywhere I've been, uh, Stonehill, Wheaton and Endicott for at least two years. So, um, yeah, like I said, Endicott, great place, really feel at home here. And, uh, it was cool to feel that as soon as I stepped on campus. Uh, we, I want to touch back on something that I said that we would visit later. Uh, your first experience with the STAT program. I mean, you, you wrote forever. Uh, what? How did you get acclimated with it? I mean, what was it kind of like for you personally to be kind of, I, I don't want to say overwhelmed, but, you know, just take on a big challenge like that? Yeah, so, um, like I said, my boss, Jeff Weld at Castleton then, uh, he was really good teaching. I, I don't think I've met someone who is – adept to teaching multiple ways, like multiple platforms or multiple things as easily as he was. Um, 
so I kind of just got thrown right in the fire, like soccer, this is how you do it. And, you know, he would show me as the game was going on and then I would get moments where I would take over and start to learn. Um, there was that one time that I screwed up pretty badly and he took the computer away from me in mid game. And then you kind of like learn it. Um, but then what I did is in that moment, I'm like, okay, if I can't have this happen to me, if I'm going to score a game by myself. Right. So I took the computer home and just started watching film on my own and, and scoring the games that way. And like learning what buttons do, what, what kind of shortcuts are there, what kind of idiosyncrasies that are there to each program. And over that time I became more comfortable with it, but kind of like you alluded to that first time I saw the interface of a DOS based program one, I don't even think I knew DOS existed at that point. (laughs) And then two, I was just like, okay, I have no idea what's going on here. Um, and this is before the advent of like Presto stats, making their own stats software and things like that. So that was pretty much all I had. Um, so yeah, it was overwhelming a little bit, but I, I got more comfortable as I went on because Jeff showed some trust in me and I took some side work and, and really played around with it on my own. Um, but yeah, when you first look at Stackrew, it just looks like a completely different animal. Um, so I, I get what you're saying when you're like, <laughs> how'd you kind of react to it when you saw it? <laughs> um, you mentioned that you had a, you wrote kind of niche pieces for track and field and cross country. Um, I'm also track and field cross country guy. So uh, you won the uh, Excellence in Communications Award uh, for your efforts in covering your track and field cross country team. So one... Um, as a, I'm asking because I would love to be able to get that award at some point in my career. But uh, were you gunning for it? I mean, how did you find out about it? Uh, and what did you do, do you think, to kind of win that award? Well, I, I personally think I'm a little bit lucky because I had a ridiculous strong program at Wheaton. Uh, prior to my arriving there, they had won multiple national championships Um, and when I was there, the program really started to turn over again and they had some tremendous student athletes within that program and a, and a great coaching staff. So I think that's part of it. But, uh, yeah, when that award got announced, I was like, this is something I want to win. This is something I think that would be uh, a sense of pride, not only for myself, but the program in general, because of what the program has done in division three, uh, college athletics. Um, so I just tried to, to do things different than I thought other programs were, were doing with track. You know, we, we spent a lot of extensive time on how we were promoting the program. I had quite a few meetings with the coach or the coaching staff. Um, one little thing we did is we made like Sunday their day. So we wouldn't promote track and field lumped in with the other sports. We would wait until Sunday the next day. And like I said, I was lucky enough to have, um, some great student athletes. Ashante Little was one of them, uh, national champion, um, in the 400, she tried to compete uh, in the 400 hurdles, uh, try and get a spot on the Great Britain team, but it didn't work out for her. So, I mean, that's kind of the that's kind of showcases what kind of student athletes we had. We had other tremendous student athletes too, so I think that helped. But um, you know, we were pro- promoting a lot of their records, a lot of their personal best. Even if a student athlete wasn't, you know, qualifying for ECACs or qualifying for NCAA's, if they had a personal best in in the mile or or whatever event, we were promoting that. Um, we were doing, you know, pieces about what were they doing in the academic side of stuff. Um, so we were trying to give a full scope of their program so that that would help in the recruiting process. So I think and I hope that the USTF CCA is, is really looking for people that are trying to go the next step in promoting a sport that is as great as cross country and track and field. I feel like, you know, like personally speaking, um, it's something I did in high school and I, I ran in high school and 
if I didn't have that sport in high school, I don't know if I would have gone on to do some of the things that I've done because it taught me a lot of life lessons. So I think there was that personal piece of it too, where I was really trying to promote the sport um, for that reason and then the multiple reasons that I that I just said. So I think it's a mixture of that kind of thing. I mean, if you look at the award winners in um, those brackets, though, there are some phenomenal people that have won some some awards there, um, especially some of the division one schools, like some of the stuff they do with the, the graphics and promoting like times. And, um, I think it was, I want to say it was Kentucky, but I'm, I'm trying to remember, but every time they had a, a student athlete qualify for the NCAAs, they had like their bib number and a graphic and their name over it. And I thought that was pretty sick. I've seen uh, that, yeah. Yeah. So like there were a lot of people doing some crazy things. And I think what it comes down to is the consistency of how we were promoting the women's track and field program and kind of the overextension of things we were doing that kind of helped me, um, win that award. And then I was lucky enough to win the cross country one this past fall for Endicott. And to be honest, I, I don't know if I would have won it if it wasn't for the, the letter that our coach put in, um, for that nomination, which I didn't ask him to do at all. So, uh, I think a lot of credit goes to him because there are a lot of people that do a lot of tremendous work, and I just felt lucky enough to win it, honestly, on that one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, say somebody out there that's listening to this maybe wants to have that sort of goal of winning an award like that for whether it be their writing, graphic, publication, whatever. One, is it okay to have those kind of aspirations? And two, do you communicate that with your coaches that, hey, this is something that I want to win? Yeah, I think I think it's more than acceptable I, I think we're hopefully starting to come to an age in this profession where you can step outside of the the back of the room a little bit you know and, and go to the forefront we have a lot of and we keep saying it but like we have a lot of people who do a lot of tremendous things in the profession and I think there's a difference between bragging about what you do and being proud about what you do and I think going for an award like that you know when you express it to a coach like hey we have a great program. I think this will help legitimize the publicity of the program. And quite frankly, like this is something I'm passionate about. This is why I want to go after it. I think those are all fantastic reasons to go about and do it. I don't think anyone should be, um, you know, cautious about going for an award if you if that's something you believe in, right? It's like athletes. Like imagine if an athlete didn't want to win a game for some reason. You know, like I feel like. Maybe it's not considered winning for us, but it's considered a, a way for us to kind of showcase what we're doing. I think that's only a positive. And then, you know, if you do win the award, the only thing I would say is, you know, be kind of humble about it and and not go out there and brag about it because there are a lot of people who would be deserving as well. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know what you think about it, but I would be all for an SID trying to go out there and say, hey, this is something I'm really aspiring to do. You know, what do you think? And I would hope they would feel that way, too. Yeah, perfect. Uh, I mean, I do feel the same way about it. I don't think there's any shame in, in going after something like that because I, I the one reason I started this because I think we're all rock stars and I think that if you want it, like, by God, go get it. Um, but you do did mention a little bit about promoting uh, your, your programs, whether it be via publications, whatever. Uh, so maybe, and I'm kind of phrasing this in a social media strategy way, uh, what are some things that you kind of implement as far as your departments and programs and stories go to kind of get that publicity? Uh, so I think the biggest thing for us at Endicott would really be when we start with social media, we want to really publicize the process as a whole. I think there's a lot of schools that really leave out the student part and the student athlete term, if you want to use that term. Um, 
case in point, we don't use the word player um, in any recaps or any any publicity on our end. Um, if I see it in copy, I'll cut it out, or my colleagues will do as well. So the biggest thing for us is to really showcase and highlight the true experience of an Endicott student athlete, and we promote athletics and academics in the same vein. Um, and then from a social media standpoint, we just try and showcase that, yeah, we'll st- We'll, we'll steal a little bit from other schools or, or pro teams or things and some concepts. We'll come up with our own and brainstorming ideas. But we want to make sure it connects back to what we're trying to do. And like I said, that's really trying to encompass what it means to be an Endicott student athlete. You know, being here as a student, living in the residence halls, the community of the school, academics, and then the athletics. Um, so that's been a big pitch for me since I've gotten here is, is really pitching those type of things. So for us, uh, the internship program at Endicott is really big. Students are required to have three internships as a whole. Um, so we promote that a lot. We do a lot of pieces on internships. Um, right now, at this moment, the number one story on our athletics website is a U.S. news piece about us being mentioned in, in an article about internships. So, you know, we'll publicize the athletics as much as the academics. Um, another thing to it is we like to have fun on social media. Um, We'll, we'll do a lot of kind of, you know, interesting things. We did a Bitmoji line chart for women's hockey this year um, before I got here, which actually was one of the reasons why I really felt like this would be a place that I would work. Um, April Fools, they pranked one of the SIDs in the office. They put an air horn under his, his seat um, and they filmed it and that did pretty well on social. So it's kind of a broad scope. Um, and then we'll have some serious stuff, but we try and be, you know, engaging and conversational on social Um, and then from a social standpoint, we like to reevaluate everything that we do. Um, so like one thing this year that we were kind of proud of a little bit is like our Twitter game day stuff. We were, we kind of thought we were hitting a snag with, um, Twitter game day, like posting about every team and things like that. Um, so we're like, okay, how are we going to make this fun? How are we going to make this engaging? So now we, we had every team like do funny gifts, just like do funny poses, do, you know, funny things with their teammates. Um, and then we only post like that one gif with everyone tagged in the tweet and that's done way better. So, um, social media, like I said, for us is, you know, we're just trying to be fun, engaging, not take ourselves too seriously and then really promote that Endicott student athlete experience as a whole. I want to kind of touch on what you said about the student, maybe the academics a little bit. Uh, how does one go about kind of evaluating and kind of separating to the point where, okay, Yes, we have a great internship program, but is it worth covering? I mean, in your guys' case, absolutely, but for somebody else, maybe not. So how do they define that fine line between what is their job to cover as far as academics go? Yeah, uh, first, you can't stretch yourself too thin, right? So if you're a one-person office, you know, maybe maybe you do a story a month on a student-athlete that's had a great internship or a great uh, job experience outcome. Um, or maybe it's twice a month or, or once every three months, whatever it is. I think, I think it's important to cover those aspects because when your, your AD, for example, goes into a meeting with a president or someone of a dean of a school, they can kind of say, yeah, hey, you know, our sports information director is not just doing athletics. He's covering this or she's covering that, X, Y, and Z. So I think that would be the first thing is not stretch yourself too thin. And then the second thing would be, you know, does this strategy align with what the college as a whole or the university is trying to accomplish? So if internships isn't, you know, something to do with that college that you work at or university, then maybe not go that way. Maybe there's, 
other avenues you can go from an academic standpoint. Maybe study abroad is, is a really big pitch for a certain university or college. So maybe you can gather, you know, a bunch of stories and do one at the beginning of the year and the end of the year. Um, but not stretching yourself too thin and then really aligning with the college, um, you know, in terms of what you can do. So like Stonehill, if I, if I tried this approach at Stonehill, for example, when I worked there, I don't think it would work because it doesn't align with the mission of, of Stonehill College. But for Endicott, I think it's perfect because obviously, as I mentioned before, three internships for a student at minimum, you have to take three. One's a semester-long internship. So those would be the two big bullet points. Don't stretch yourself too thin because I tried that and I did that at Wheaton and I was experiencing some burnout before I went to Endicott. Um, and then, you know, the bigger one, just make sure it aligns with what, you know, your college or university that, that you work at kind of, you know, situates with them. Uh, and as far as maybe, like you said, I love what you said about aligning it because I like, I like talking about kind of branding and aligning those two sorts of things. So uh, what about someone who's maybe a little bit apprehensive about this? I mean, what benefits could promoting academics and those things do for the athletic department? Well, I guess I'll share this story. So, and maybe this will connect with the question a little bit, then we'll get more into it. Um, So we were writing an internship piece on um, men's basketball student athlete, Daquan Sampson, who was a senior. um, And he was going into athletic training and we were in a big stretch run men's basketball last year made it to the sweet 16 we were just about outside of the playoffs and i was working on this story i had interviewed him and i got pretty swamped up with men's hockey making like this crazy run the last couple of weeks uh only a second year program so you're trying to to cater to them and cater to men's basketball and women's basketball women's hockey and a lot going on men's volleyball is going to start um and my men's basketball coach uh came in the office and he was like, Hey Sean, how's it going? Like, I know you're pretty swamped, but can I grab us, grab a second? I was like, yeah, what's going on? He's like, I have a big recruit coming on campus. That's the exact same major as Daquan. Have you gotten anywhere with that piece? Do you need any more quotes from me? Really, really helpful in the process. He's like, I want to show that piece to his family and to him so he can make a deeper connection to what we're doing here. So that's when that was kind of like the aha moment for me. Like this is actually sticking. Like now a coach has come in and been like, I want to be able to show that link to him before he gets here or at least print it out for him, have him read it, have the family read it while they're waiting for an admissions tour, yada, yada. So that's, that's kind of where I see it fitting. So if you're, if you're trying to expand your social content or your content mix, if you will, at a school into academics, I think you have a discussion with some of your coaches and maybe your your boss, that may be your AD or, or an assistant AD, and say, hey, I have this idea. Um, do you think it fits? Do you think it helps us in recruiting? And, and that's a big reason why we do it. Um, you know, when we put these pieces out on internships, I'll mail the entire coaching staff, email them and say, hey, you've got to push this out in your, in your next recruiting email or down the road or link it in there. Um, and they've all been really receptive to it because of a story like that where you can say, Hey, I have this this recruit coming in for softball. They're a nursing major. They want to learn more about the program, but from a student athlete's perspective, and then they can make that connection. And then when ex recruit goes and talks to that student athlete at a practice, they immediately have a conversation starter. It's not awkward. They kind of feel connected already. Um, so there are multiple reasons for us to do it, and that really for me was like a fulfilling moment when a coach asked for that. It really connected all the dots. So I think that would be my biggest piece of advice is is ask before you do, 
engage the interest of, of everyone involved because I think you're going to find that the coaches really have a big, big pulse on what's going on with their recruits in the school as a whole. And then if your AD is all on board with it, I think that really gives that sports information director a, a big step forward in what they're doing. We're not just doing stats. We're not just doing Twitter, as some ADs think we do, or, or social media. Um, so I think that helps uh, big time if you're going that route. Perfect. I, I love everything about that. Um, so I, but we got to move on. Uh, I'd like to ask some fun questions. And the first one yeah. I have for you, Sean, is uh, what's your favorite memory in your professional tenure? Uh, favorite memory? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I think most recently, I think one that comes to light, uh, just in terms of the collaboration and the way that the team kind of worked and how we evolved as a staff before and after this incident. Um, well, not incident isn't the right word. Um, we our football team uh, earlier this year we had uh, basically a situation. It was like fourth and eight on our or fourth and ten on our own eight yard line we were on the road uh our quarterback threw up a ball kid caught it one-handed like odell beckham jr <laughs> at the 50 yard line and then we ran like three plays uh game tying touchdown triple coverage then we kicked the field the pat to win and then it was kind of like crazy thinking about like texting my boss and him texting me and we're like oh wait a minute we had, like this is going to be a viral moment. Like this is going to go nuts. And like being in that moment and realizing like okay, like all the stuff we've talked about, game planning wise, what would we do if we did if we did have this happen? How would we go about it? And then like being in the moment of actually seeing like a, I've never been a part of a viral moment. Um, I've seen presentations on it. Uh, Allie Kern at Army has done one about her softball student athlete jumping over the catcher, and you're like, what would it ever be to be in that moment? And then earlier this fall, like being in that moment was really cool, like coordinating with, you know, everyone on staff, trying to cover Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, like trying to just cover the story as a whole. That was really it was a really cool moment because I feel like all of us got to use all of our skill sets in a variety of different ways. Um, so I guess from from um, from that standpoint, that would be my favorite moment so far, just the ability to kind of see your strategy just develop and then get used really in real time. Um, and then how everyone was so willing to help and jump in and the community aspect of it in terms of like the coaches helping. I mean, even our football staff was like giving us ideas about what to do on social at one point when it was starting to go viral. I mean, it got picked up by a crazy number of, of entities. So um, it's something that I, I don't think the college had ever experienced, um, especially in athletics. Um, so to be able to go through that moment and I thought we handled it pretty well, um, we reevaluated some things after we had gone through it, but to just go through that moment and, and use your whole toolkit was, was pretty exhilarating. Uh, what about on the other side of the coin? What's your biggest horror story so far? Um, that's also a good question. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I've ever had. I don't think I've ever had anything go too, too wrong where I've been like, oh, man, like I want to get out of the profession or anything, you know, like some people have those moments. Yeah. Um, I think we all have our our um, our squabbles with coaches sometimes. I think we all have our situations where you see a team's run end and it it, it hurts a little bit because, you know, you, you feel connected to the, the program and the student athletes. Um, but no, I mean, I can't really think of a 
a time where I've gone home and been like, why am I doing this or why am I in this profession? I mean, I feel like 90% of the time, 95% of the time I'm, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty much where I belong, you know? Um, so yeah, it's hard to think of a, a horror story that isn't like about a team's success ending, um, too short or something like that. Um, I, I think, I think if I ever had a big horror story would be, um, if I ever had a GA or an intern that didn't get a job after they graduated, I think that would be my biggest horror story. <laughs> I would feel pretty bad about that. I've had a, I've, I've been lucky that everyone's at least, if they, if they try to stay in the profession, they've gone on. I understand people who don't want to be in it after they do it, but I think that would be, I think that would be my biggest horror story. If, if a GA or an intern tried after working with me and a staff, try to get a sports information job and they couldn't, I think that would be, that would be the one. And what would one piece of advice you give to a student going into this profession? Um, networking with a purpose of making connections, not networking to find your next job. I think there's a huge difference in that. A lot of people, when you go to convention, you can kind of tell they're just having the conversation with you to see if you have an opening and not make a connection. Um, a lot of people that I met at COSIDA last year, for example, I, I never knew. I didn't know who they were. Um, you know, and now we're all in a, in a group text every day. We're talking to each other, and those connections were, were really powerful because they were from all over the country. We've been able to celebrate people getting new jobs and just making those, those friendly connections to the point where you know, we were getting text messages in the group today, like who's going to COSIDA next year, can't wait to see you, that sort of thing. Um, and I never went in the intention of you know, networking with any of those people that like, oh, I'm going to be best friends with this person or I'm going to be really close with this person. It kind of just evolved. Um, but when you go to those conventions, you see people that are like literally just jumping into conversations to ask if you have openings or things like that. Um, so if you can make those meaningful connections, that's where it's going to help you in, in networking. And you look at the the job that I got at Stonehill, if I didn't make that connection with the Keen Swamp Bats, um, you know, I wouldn't have worked at Stonehill, but luckily I was there at the right time. Doug moved on to Stonehill from Franklin Pierce and, and that kind of set the fire of, of chain of events in place. So that would be my biggest piece of advice is, is network to become friends with people, really not to, to find the next jumping block on the ladder of your job um, performance or security or where you're going to go next. I got to shorten this next question because I know, I know it's too long. It's too long for you and me to say, but um, <laughs> I'll just say it, it, it kind of phrase it towards this. From what you've seen with other people, other SIDs, what makes a good SID? Um, short answer is someone who cares. Um, I, I don't care if an SID makes a mistake. I don't care if any of that type of things happen with stats, recaps, whatever. Like, but if at the end of the day you care to your core about what you're, what you're doing in your product – that's all that matters because then the rest of it comes. If you if you know you made a mistake in a stat file and you're going to be like an extra 40 minutes because you're going to go review like that one player, that string of plays in basketball because something happened, right? Like the computer died. Like that's big to me, like going back and getting that, getting that email right away and being like, hey, Sean, I screwed up or, you know, I need to fix this or, um, you know, going the extra mile um, for an SID because you genuinely care. I think that's that's the big big thing for me. Everything else I think is kind of, 
it's kind of whatever at that point. Every SID is going to have a different skill set. Every SID is going to be more intrigued into one part of the job than the other, I think. But if you get someone who cares and they're passionate about what they're doing, that that's really the, the first check mark for me. Uh, what's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession? Um, from a technical standpoint, I have no idea how to do After Effects. Anything you see on EC Gulls is not me <laughs> from an After Effects standpoint. Um, from a professional standpoint, I, I think that being a sports information director over time is going to be a really fulfilling thing for me, but I want to be able to figure out what the next step is because I think at some point I'm going to want to move on from being a sports information director and, and impact student athletes on a, on a deeper level or a bigger level. Um, I just need to figure out what that might be uh, long term, but as of now, I'm, I'm completely happy where I'm at. Uh, work-life balance, what do you do to have fun? Uh, run. Uh, we've kind of touched upon that a little bit. Uh, love going to concerts, uh, hanging out with friends and family, you know, the normal stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty normal, um, big baseball guy. So, um, I think at some point, maybe next year, I'm going to start planning a trip where I go to every stadium, at least like tackle one off every year in the summer. Um, I've, I've been to like maybe seven or eight max, but I think that's something it'll do. But yeah, pretty normal stuff for the fun stuff. Um, uh, follow a ton of stuff on social media, you know, all, all that stuff. Pretty, pretty easy standard stuff. Uh, next time someone's in your area, you can pick wherever you've been, but next time someone's in that northeast corner there, what's your restaurant or bar recommendation? Um, so I think it has to fall under the lines of I have to go with them. Um, <laughs> but we, we go to this place. Uh, it's called Fibbers. Um, it's right maybe maybe two miles away from from campus but that's kind of where we go um you know a lot of the the coaches a lot of the people on staff um we go there that's kind of our spot so you know i'd want to take them there uh maybe feel like this is kind of where we go this is the place that we go instead of taking them to like some fancy place because there are some fancy places on that row um but that's where we go and and kind of decompress after after games or celebrate when we win titles and that sort of thing so that's where i would take them Perfect. And if somebody wants to get in touch with you, maybe network with you a little bit after this show, uh, what would be the best way to do it? Uh, Twitter's a good one. I'm a big email guy, too. Um, Twitter, I believe, is my full name, but the underscore in the middle. And obviously, my email's on the EC Gulls website. Um, and then from there, I'm a big I'm a big text message guy, so that's like the next level <laughs> of communication. But that would be the two places, Twitter or, or email. Perfect. Well, Sean, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Guys, there you have it. Another week down, and we're going to keep this thing moving. So next week, we will have actually Jay Stancil of Union College. That's the one in Kentucky, not Tennessee, down on the pod. Or, or is it New York? I know that there's a... I think my grandfather went my grandfather went to Union in Tennessee. How many unions are there? Somebody tweet at me and let me know at David Gibson underscore XC over on Twitter. Uh, but Jay will be coming on the pod. We, we had a lot of fun with that one. He's a guy that I've had to want to have on for a long time. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, guys, in the intro, be sure to leave a rating and a review. And as always, you can email me anytime at sportsinfocast at gmail.com and follow us on social media at Sports InfoCast on Twitter and Facebook. I want to thank you all for listening, and we hope to catch you all in the next episode.